0: As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you, please, uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, um, it's exciting to open up the scripture, uh, to see what you have for us. We open up other books, we open up other things on various uh, uh, tablets and computers and phones and so forth that we have, and even books. But but this one is different. You say that this book is alive. And so we pray That as we consider what's here, as we look at it, as we read it, as we think upon it, that you, by your Spirit, will be with us, please, and work this Word in us. Not only that we would simply understand it, yes, of course, but through it, that we would know you better. And by it, we would be able to stand, that is, to stand in faith, uh, walking. With you. And this we pray. In Jesus name. Amen. Turn please to Ephesians in chapter 6. Again I want to read verses 10 through 20. Ephesians chapter 6 please. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 10. Uh, Finally. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And together we say, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, why is it that in the midst of this passage, Paul takes up praying? Um, we know that he's talking about a spiritual battle that's going on. He says that as believers in Jesus, we must realize that we have an enemy. And he identifies this enemy as, as, as the devil. He says, don't, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And he mentions in the previous verse Verse 11, that it's this devil, the devil, that schemes against us. Last Sunday we saw the background of all of this. We could look at Genesis three, we could look at Revelation 12, and we can see this evil one who's against, comes against the people of God. His primary mo is that he lies, deceives, he comes to distort the truth that God has spoken, the truth. That Christ is it comes to distort all of that in in our lives. Paul has laid out in this letter, as you know, the first three chapters. I hope you're getting this. We've only been doing this for like this is like the thirty ninth sermon. I counted them uh, uh, partially out of guilt, but counted them the other day just to see how long we've been doing this um, uh, in Ephesians. So so I hope I hope Ephesians is is coming into focus, at least by now, in your thinking, that you can outline it, that you know that the first three chapters, Paul lays out who we are in Christ. And in chapters 4, 5, and 6, he tells us then what that means in the context of our lives. How we're to live that out? And, and so now Paul says that there's an enemy of our souls who's come against us to try to distort our identity. To to try to confuse us, to to try to to get us to forget or to not understand or, or not see ourselves as those who are holy and blameless in the sight of God. Who are not adopted into his family, who have been redeemed and forgiven, sealed by the Holy Spirit, saved for good works. At peace with God and with each other. The household of God, the temple being built up in the Spirit together. But the evil one is trying to get us to deny that. And so he says then in chapters 4 through 6, here's how you're supposed to live now, in unity together and in purity of life. In unity together, you need that. You need to be church together because Jesus has given gifts to the church to build us up. And through those gifts of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers... We're being built up in love, you see. And as together as as the people of God, we speak the truth in love. We're building one another up. You see. Why is that? Well, because he's created us in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. We're to live that out, you see. And this unity that we have together requires a purity of life as we live it out. And our purity of life can only be attained as we're United together and speaking the truth and love. So we're to be imitators of God. We're to walk in love as Christ has loved us. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's to reflect itself in worship as we worship together. And as we humbly submit to each other and serve each other, you see. What the evil one comes to do is to take our identity from us. Try to. Comes to try to keep us from living that out. And so Paul says you need to stand. You need to stand. And he says to stand then you need to be strengthened in the strength of the Lord. In the strength of his might. You can't do it alone. Thus you must put on the the armor of God. And and he says "So, so you must know the truth. And this truth must live in your life in such a way as to transform you. You must stand in the righteousness of Christ. It must guard your heart. You must know that you're accepted by God because of the righteousness of Christ. And this righteousness then, then works its way in you to cause you to live a holy life. And you must know this gospel that brings peace with you and with, between you and God and you and each other. This gospel of that, as the old hymn writer says, has a double cure. It cleanses us from its guilt and the power of sin so that we can live, you see. And, and then we must believe it. We must have faith, which is our shield. So that when the evil one comes against us, it and, and, and throws these fiery arrows to accuse us and to get us to deny who we are and to get us to stop living the way that we're to live. He comes and says, God doesn't really love you. You're not really accepted by him. You're not really sealed by his spirit. There's no guarantee here. Or when he comes to say, this sin is is, is more pleasurable than walking with God. When he comes in those ways, we have faith. No, I believe the word of God. I believe we believe God. And then around our head is this helmet uh, of salvation, our assurance, our hope of eternal life that a day will come when. And then we have the word of God, you see, that we take up. That informs all of this. Without the word of God, we wouldn't know the truth. We wouldn't know this righteousness. We wouldn't know this gospel. Uh, we, we wouldn't... Um have, have faith. We would know what to believe and in whom we're to believe and we wouldn't have any hope or assurance. And so these things are all bound together. That's why he says you have to take up the whole armor of God. That's just a piece or two, but it's all together. The truth is the truth of Christ. The righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. The gospel is the gospel of Christ. Faith is faith in Christ. Our salvation is salvation because of Christ. The word is the word of Christ. You see, it all goes back to him. And so, so we need you see, to know all of this. And so he says we're to put on this, this armor. So then why does he say pray? Why doesn't he simply say put on this this armor? I notice he, he's very clear about, about praying. Another hymn. Uh, I used to sing this. We used to sing this as kids. We don't sing this very much anymore for probably good reasons. I don't know. Like The hymn, Stand Up for Jesus. You remember that one? Um, put on the gospel armor. Put on each piece with prayer. Well, Paul's saying we should pray. He's talking about the armor of God, and so that's where the hymn gets this. Now, don't be hmm, a bit misled. Do we put on this armor with prayer? Yes and no. Um, the yes part of it is a great way to pray. Pray, God, um, enable me to know your truth. God, enable me to secure in the righteousness of Christ. God, please cause your truth and the righteousness of Christ to work in me in such a way to produce godliness. See? May I know the gospel of peace. May I know that I have peace with you and peace with my brothers and sisters. May I know the double cure of the gospel of the power that comes from the cross of Christ that He takes my guilt and the power of sin. So enable me to, to live forgiven and enable me to live free so that I can follow you. Give me faith. Right? Give me faith, please. Enable me to trust and believe. Please give me assurance of my salvation. May I never doubt it, but may I know securely and, and, and confidently the hope of the gospel and, and, and God cause me to, to be diligent in my study of scripture and to take up this word. That's a great thing to pray, but you do know <clears throat> that... It doesn't work by magic. If we're going to pray that God would make his truth effective in our lives, we must know the truth. If we're going to pray that the righteousness of Christ is effective in our lives, we must, we must know it and believe it and cling to it and all of that and his, his word and his hope of assurance and all those things, which means that <clears throat> we pray as we study the Scripture. That's when we're putting on the armor of God. That's when we're putting on the truth, right? We're putting on the truth essentially when we're, when we're, when we're thinking about it. Oh, in one sense, we put it on at one point in time. When we come to faith in Jesus, we're armored up in that sense. But, but, but that isn't the end of it. That isn't the end of putting on this armor. We, we put it on every time we gather to worship. We're putting it on now. Why? Because we're becoming strengthened in the Lord's might as we review and receive and meditate upon the truth. Even now, we're putting on this armor, right? When we think about the righteousness of Christ, when we study the scripture, when we, when we talk about it, we're putting it on. It's becoming more secure in our lives. If we haven't done that, then we could pray till we're blue in the face, but, but nothing's going to be put on. You can't put on something that isn't there, right? To put on. And the same way with the gospel. You need to hear it to know it. And as we review it, we're putting on this this armor. And, and so, so when we say put on each piece with prayer, we're saying pray as we put it on, but also pray then that as we're in our quiet time and as we're in Sunday school and as we're in our Bible studies and as we're talking to each other about the things of God, building each other up in love, And as we're applying this at the point of temptation, the point of confusion, the point of discouragement, the point of hopelessness, all those things. As we're applying this, be praying. Be praying that God would make all of this, the whole armor of God, is truth and so forth, effective in our lives. They go together, putting on this armor and praying in in this passage, praying is essential. There's a sense in which Paul lays it out and says, I, I couldn't have left this out. I can't show this to you. Your, your Greek grammar is probably as rusty as mine. But, but, but here we have a participle that goes to a main verb. And the main verb is to stand. And so when Paul lays out to stand, he's saying two things flow from standing, putting on the armor and praying. Not one or the other, not either or, but both together, they go together. One without the other won't be uh, effective. And then and they just notice how significant it is here. Verse 18, he says, Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to then keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. I mean, he's pretty much covered everything. Right? He's praying at all times. Whether it's a good time or a bad time, a happy time or a sad time. Whether it's a prosperous time or not a prosperous time. Whether you're encouraged or discouraged. Right? I can think of our marriage vows in sickness and in health. For richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. In every situation you say, pray... At all times, in another situation, he says, pray without ceasing. Now, we know we can't have our hands folded, our heads bowed, and all of that 24-7. But what he says is, I want you to live constantly aware of your dependence upon God. That should be as close to you as anything. If anything bumps you, boom, that's what you're thinking about. That's where you go. That you know you live in the presence of God and you're praying at all times. Then he says, with all prayer and supplication. In other words, with all kinds of prayers. I mean, whether they're what we used to call arrow prayers. You know, a prayer at the moment, like, boom. I, something's occurred right now. And I realize that, you know, your teacher says, take out a half sheet of paper. There's going to be a quiz. You go, oh, oh, you're sorry. or, 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 or you get a phone call from a friend who's in trouble. Or... Whatever it is, you you know those that right at the moment, I've got to pray right now. But then there's those well thought out prayers. There's those prayers that you take time to think through. How am I going to pray about this? And you have time and you sit down. Sometimes you write them out. The psalmist, we see those acrostic psalms, those psalms that are alphabetical, if you will, that each line starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That took time. That just doesn't come. Somebody thought about that. There's probably 18 drafts to that, you know. What can I pray honestly that begins with this letter? I don't know. To took time. Those kinds of well-ordered, well-thought-out prayers, public prayers, private prayers, you see. Those prayers that are just groans. Those prayers that are just flow because you're so filled with joy and you can't stop giving thanks. All kinds of prayers and supplications, he says there, uh, with all perseverance, never stop doing this. Why? Because the enemy never stops. The enemy never stops. You know, in Matthew 7, uh, Jesus, in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, says, uh, pray and keep on praying, ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking, seek and keep on seeking. Why? because your need to follow him never changes your weakness never gets better it, always we need him and so he says i've just laid out for you in this sermon how you're to live so now i'm asking you to pray commanding you to pray and you're going to have to do this continuously that you know your poverty in spirit that you'll mourn over your sin that you'll desire to be weakness and your heart for righteousness and all of that you'll, you'll need that so we pray continuously why because the need never stops And here the enemy never stops. So pray with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In other words, don't just pray for yourself. You need the body. You need the body to be praying for you. And yes, you need to be praying for everyone else. We can't do this alone. And so Paul, even the great apostle says, then pray also for me. He says, why? Because I have a calling and my calling is is to undo the works of the devil in the sense that I want to bring uh, uh, sight to blind spiritual eyes. And, And all I have is this gospel. So pray that it's effective. I don't have anything else. They look at me and laugh. I'm not all that eloquent. I'm not all that impressive. Church in Corinth thinks all these other Apostles are are great and glorious because of the way they look and the way they sound and all of that. And I'm none of that. I don't have anything. I have this gospel. so, So pray that it's effective. The point being, you see, it's prayer that makes each of these weapons effective. It's prayer, you see, that wields the weapon, if you will. It's that kind of prayer. We saw that in what I read from Exodus 17, right? Again, if you analyze that battle, you would think somehow Joshua thought it through, pulled it out. His people were stronger than the other people and, and, and their forces. And, and yet we know what really was happening. We know where the strength came from. It came from God and it came as, came as Moses, uh, Moses prayed. And you can see there's, there's a very close relationship here with the sword of the spirit. And praying in the Spirit. There's always a close relationship between the word and prayer. Paul says, I have to deliver this word, so pray for me. In Acts chapter 6, when the apostles were setting up the early church, they appointed deacons. Why? So that they could be uh, uh, able to pursue the word and prayer. Word and prayer together. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. We're praying in The spirit. Now, the difficulty for us oftentimes is that we're either or people. We're word or prayer people. Some of us dig into the word we we love the study of it. And we love to find out all these great truths. And and we like to know them and teach them and all that. And all that's great, of course. And on the other hand, you see, there are others who say, well, I'm not into that. I'm into praying. He says, no, 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 no. These go together. One without the other isn't working. It doesn't really work. In the midst of reading a book, I can't necessarily recommend, it's by John Updike, it's just a novel. But it's fascinating to me, in the sense that at least part of it is about, well, it's about the family of a Presbyterian minister in the early 1900s, or in the 1900s. And and it just so happens that this particular Presbyterian minister comes to the point where he realizes that he no longer believes in God. Go with me on this. Um, and here's the situation And this is just fascinating to me um, the, the The character is a guy named Clarence Wilmot, And uh, the situation is this After he comes to the conclusion He no long, longer believes in God He says that he returns to his study After retrieving the Patterson Evening Times Newspaper From where it was thrown Cleverly folded onto the front porch Each afternoon at about 4 o'clock With this prize, paper, he retreated back into his study to his leather sofa, comfortingly marred with permanent creases and missing buttons where he read with his head up on two large cross-stitched pillows as compressed by his habitual head as the church's kneeling cushions were by generation of knees. See what he's saying? He's saying he uses these cushions to prop up his head so he can stand. Read. In previous generations, these cushions were used for our knees so we could pray. I don't know if he knew this when he was writing this, Mr. Updike, but the point was we can't just read and study, we've also got to pray. The two go together. If we just read and study, our reading and studying won't be effective as we pray in dependence upon God that He will make it effective. Martin Lloyd Jones, preacher, I quote uh, often a preacher in the last century, mid last century in England, <clears throat> known probably as one of the greatest preachers in England, maybe ever, um, bless his heart, wrote six volumes, six volumes of sermons on Ephesians, two volumes. On uh, Ephesians six, ten through twenty, so I only have thirty nine sermons. Give me a break. All right. <clears throat> he writes this: He was a brilliant, brilliant theologian. He says our ultimate position as Christians is tested by the character of our prayer life it 's more important than knowledge and understanding. okay now here 's his disclaimer. He says, do not imagine that I'm detracting from the importance of knowledge. I spend most of my life trying to show the importance of having a knowledge of truth and an understanding of it. And he does. If you read Lloyd-Jones' sermons, you'll find that they're dense with doctrine. So he says this. This is vitally important. There is only one thing that's more important, and that's prayer. The ultimate test of my understanding of the scriptural teaching is the amount of time I spend in prayer. As theology is ultimately the knowledge of God, the more theology I know, the more it should drive me to seek to know God. Not to know about Him, but to know Him. The whole object of salvation is to bring me to a knowledge of God. I may talk learnedly about regeneration. But what is eternal life? It's that they may know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. If all my knowledge does not lead me to prayer, there's something wrong somewhere. It's meant to do that. The value of the knowledge is that it gives me such an understanding of the value of prayer that I devote time to prayer and delight in prayer. If it doesn't produce these results in my life, there's something wrong and spurious about it or else I'm handling it in a wrong manner. The trouble, I'm convinced, is that we tend to stop at putting on the whole armor of God Here we are, we say to ourselves, complete. So the devil puffs us up with our knowledge and therefore defeats us. You see, when we get this knowledge, if we hit our knees with it, what we're saying is, please help me to get it. Please help me to grasp it, God. Please help me to use it in the right way. Please cause it to be used in my life to transform me, to enable me to stand so that I can have faith so that I can walk with you. Because unless you do, all I have is information. And I need your spirit. I need your help, please, to help me. Now that We have so many questions often about prayer. You know, the, the big one, and this is the one that no matter what conversation I ever get into, whether it's on an airplane or in my office, when people talk about praying, they always ask me this one. Especially knowing I'm a Presbyterian. And they said, well, if God is sovereign over everything, isn't he just going to do what he's going to do? So therefore, why pray? Doesn't it make prayer unhelpful, ineffective, uh, useless, really? God's going to do what he's going to do. He's the sovereign one. And I said, well, you're right. He is the sovereign one. And yes, he is going to do what he's going to do. But he's not going to do it if he's ordained prayer to bring it about. That is, God ordains, arranges, orders, things in such a way to bring about what he desires to bring about. That's true. But he not only ordains the ends of it, but he also ordains the means of it. So if he's ordained a means to bring about an end, the means is utterly and completely necessary In order to bring about the end. So if he's ordained prayer to bring about particular ends. Then the prayer you see is utterly and completely necessary. We see it for instance. In evangelism. In Ephesians 1. Paul lays out. That God has chosen us. In Christ, before the foundations of the world. He has a plan. It's going to happen. If you look at Revelation 7, we see it. There are those who have been saved from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And they're worshiping God. So we see the plan of it. We see the end of it. How's it going to come about? Well, Luke chapter whatever, 10. We read this. Jesus is with those who are following him. Verse One after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Do you realize that God's plan is contingent upon harvesters? Harvesters are contingent upon people praying. Will the harvest come? Yes. Must people pray? Yes. Are prayers necessary? Yes. Why? Because God has ordained them to bring about his ends. And so, you see, we must pray. This was true when Jesus raised Lazarus. From the dead, John chapter 11, he prayed. Verse 41, he was at the tomb of his friend and said, So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you've sent me. Lazarus had been raised if Jesus had not prayed. I suspect not. Would Jesus pray? Yes, why? Because his Father ordained it, and thus his prayers lead to all that takes place. Jesus prayed all the time. so if praying wasn't necessary'm was ne- sorry, if praying was necessary for Jesus, how can we say it's not <laughs> necessary for us? He, the scripture says over and over again, he went to desolate places in the wilderness to pray. He prayed before he chose his disciples. He prayed in such a way, and it left such an impression upon everybody that they asked him to teach them how to pray. I would have asked Jesus, how do you walk on water? How do you do these things? When they ask him how to pray, that was the impact of praying on Jesus' life. You see, he prayed the great scene in the garden prior to his crucifixion. In fact, the author of Hebrews summarizes the life of Jesus and his life of prayer in Hebrews in chapter 5, verse 7. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence, his fear of God. He knew. He knew. He needed the help of his father, the help of the spirit. Thus, should we not know the very same, you see. So prayer is necessary for this armor to be effective. And so Paul wants us to know that. That's why he starts out by saying, finally, in this last section, he's saying, I've told you all of this stuff. Now you need to know this. There's an enemy. You need to put on this armor and you need to pray if indeed you're going to stand. Now we believe we're going to stand. So what does that mean? It means that we believe that he'll strengthen us. What does that mean? It means that we believe that he'll move us in such a way to put on this armor and he'll move us also also to pray. Um, Prayer gives us confidence. We're to pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit um, prompts us to pray. The Holy Spirit gives us confidence to pray. The Holy Spirit even intercedes for us as we as we pray, you see, he prompts us to pray. He prompts us to pray by continually, by the Word, by life, continually lays before us the situation, the need. He brings us to places in our lives where we see our weakness, where we see our need. This passage is designed. To cause us to see our need. This passage is designed to tell us that we have an enemy. We have an enemy who is powerful. We have an enemy who has authority. We have an enemy who's unseen. Reading that section is supposed to cause us to suck air. And ask the question, how are we ever going to stand against, against this enemy so that's the first thing but then the the second thing is that it's supposed to give us confidence that here's the strength of god who will help us but even in that as lloyd jones says knowing all that is to send us to our knees to say please god i know all of this Please make it effective in the context of our lives. You know this in the context of your own life, don't you? You know that you know the truth. You know that that you're supposed to be confident in a particular situation that God will work it out. You know that God will help you. You know in every situation when we face death, we know that, yes, it is really true that, that I'm going to wake up in the presence of the Lord. Knowing all that should send you to your needs. Please, God, help me. Help me to believe this. Help me to apply this. Help me to continue living this out. It isn't just we have all these facts and we list them out and we're done. It's that, oh, no, no, there's something else here. I need to go to God and say, please make all of these effective in the context of my life at this moment. That's why Jesus said in Luke 18, if you don't pray, you'll faint. If you don't pray, you'll grow weary. Because, you see, prayer is that consciousness that, yes, I'm in the presence of God. Prayer is that conscious dependence upon God. Prayer is that sense that, yes, I know, he really is for me. And that's praying in the Spirit. Because, you see, one of the things that the Spirit does for us is witness to our spirit that we are, in fact, children of God. Romans 8 and verse 12. So then, brothers, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see the Holy Spirit, what he does is that he continues to impress upon us that we have been adopted. That we really belong to God, that he really is our father. And as our father, he's the perfect father. And as our father, he's the good father. And as our father, he's the one who loves us. And as our father, he's the one who desires to protect us and provide for us. He's the perfect father. And so you see, when we're praying in the Spirit, it means that the Spirit is enabling us to know that God is our Father and we really have access to Him. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes that we all have access, by way of the cross, to one Father, access to Him. We can pray and He really will hear us. Do you ever doubt that? you ever doubt that He actually hears you? What do you do when you doubt that He hears you? Well, you go and you find all the promises in the Scripture that... He's your father, that he really does hear you. And then you pray, if you're smart, you pray that you believe that. You'll pray in the spirit that the spirit will impress that upon you so you'll have confidence to go. That's praying in the spirit, praying knowing that you belong to God. Praying knowing that he's prompting your requests because you see the need in your weakness. And also this interceding for us in verse 26 of Romans 8, we have this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep uh, for words. You know, so often we don't realize that each one of us prays with groanings too deep for words. Because oftentimes we pray in public places and lots of people. And so we pick our words, we thought it out. And that's what we should do. We're helping other people pray. But you know what it's like in your own closet or with your dearest friends. You groan. You simply face before the Lord say, I don't even, I don't know. Oh, what to pray here. I just know I hurt or my dear loved one hurts or that I'm discouraged or they're discouraged or I'm depressed or they're depressed or I'm afraid. They don't even know how to put it. We put it the best we can. But we know at the very same time that the Spirit, we're praying in the Spirit, you see. We're praying in tongues or anything like that. We're praying in the Spirit, you see. We're, We're praying deeply impressed about the presence of God. And He's interceding for us. And that's our comfort. Comfort when we get off our knees after a time like that isn't that we've got it all figured out that if we went back to our knees, we could list it out in perfect order. We know if we went back to our knees, we'd groan again. But we do know that we've been heard and our hearts have been understood. Not only that, the Holy Spirit himself has groaned for us, has interceded for us. And we have a great confidence that we've actually been heard perfectly. <laughs> and that God will act as per groanings intercessions of the Holy Spirit the confidence and when the enemy when the evil day has come you see we pretend like we know what that is and we do in certain aspects of our lives we've all faced that evil day of difficulty but, but we know in the history of the world the evil day could come and it could come in our own lives that day and the great day of the Lord and and, 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 and We pray that God will keep us in the midst of all that. That's our utter and complete, always, dependence upon him. And of course, Paul models this with two prayers in particular. We've discussed them, so I won't spend a lot of time with them now, but... but. He, he lays out in Ephesians 1 the blessings from the Father. And then what, did he, what, what does he do? After he says that we've been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, be holy and blameless in his sight, and that we're adopted, and we're redeemed, and we're forgiven, and we're sealed with the Spirit, what does he do? He prays. He doesn't simply say, well, now, that's all. No, 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 he prays. and so What does he pray? In Ephesians 1, he says he gives thanks for them that God... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17 of Ephesians 1, the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He says, listen, this is what's true. Now I want you to really get it. So I'm praying for you. Where is prayer prayers necessary? Yes. Prayer and the word go hand in hand. Here's the truth. Now I'm praying that you get it. That you may know the hope to which you've been called. I just told you that. I told you you have great hope. To be holy and blameless in his sight. You have great hope. Your salvation is guaranteed. You have the seal of the spirit. But I, I want you to, to know that. It says. The hope to which you've been called. The, the glorious riches in the saints. I want you to know the inheritance that's yours. I want you to know what's to come. And that's secure for you. And I want you to know the power of God. That, that has Forgiven you and empowers you to live this out and to protect you. And then in Ephesians three, he does the same thing again. He's, he's just said that they have one Father and access to this one Father together. We all do as believers in Jesus. And then he's going to go on to tell them how they're to live. And so he preps that by saying, "For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father." Ephesians three fourteen, from whom every family on earth. Uh, in heaven and on earth is named that according to his riches and glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power. He's only going to tell them about that so they'll know it and understand it. But he says, "Now I'm praying that it'll be effective in your life." to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He says, listen, I'm praying it. And so then he goes on to tell them that they're to build them, build the, as the church build itself up in love, that they're to walk... In righteousness and holiness, that to be imitators of God and walk in love, that to be filled with the Spirit and worship together and to love each other and all of that. But he doesn't just tell them that; he prays that they will, in fact, get that. That's the point of the situation in Exodus 17. We mentioned a minute ago. We read it a while ago, where Moses is praying. We know the secret. We know the behind the scenes. We know the strength of the armor through prayer. William Cooper, poet, hymn writer, 18th century, friend of John Owen's, faced many demons in his life, suffered deep, dark depressions, but had wrote some of our greatest hymns. There is a fountain filled with blood. And others. Here's a poem that he wrote about prayer. He said, wrote this. He said, what various hindrances we meet in coming to the mercy seat. But who knows. But yet who knows. I'm sorry. Yet who that knows the worth of prayer wishes often to be there. In other words, he says, we have great hindrances in prayer. We know that. We get that. That's given. We understand that. Great hindrances in prayers. But if you really know the worth of prayer, you'll wish often to be there. Another verse. Restraining prayer, we cease to fight. In other words, when we restrain prayer, when it's we don't pray, then we just have to realize we've given up. We cease to fight. He says, prayer makes... The Christian's armor bright, and Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. If get a tattoo; that should be it, All right? I'm not recommending it, but I'm just saying. Then he refers to what we mentioned a minute ago from Exodus 17, while Moses stood with arms spread wide. Success was found on Israel's side. But when through weak, uh, weariness, they failed, that moment, Amalek prevailed. You get the analogy. Then this: Have you no words? <laughs> Think again. Words flow apace when you complain, and fill your free fellow creature's ear with a sad tale of all your care. In other words, sometimes you say, well, I just don't know how many words." He says, "Oh, you have plenty of words. You've been using them all the time. You complain to your friends about your situation. Right? Um, follows it up finally with this. "Were half the breath thus vainly spent to heaven in supplication sent. That is, took all these words and you used to complain to everybody else and you sent them to heaven. He said, this would be the result. Your cheerful song would oftener be hear what the Lord has done for me. Oh, you see. Here's the armor. Here's the word. Take it up. Praying. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us that we would do just that. That even as we think of the battle that is and the enemy that is, may we think of the God who is, this very one who is for us, who strengthens us in his might by giving to us truth and righteousness and working that in us to cause us, to enable us to live a life that's holy. Do we know the gospel? Do we believe? Do we know that we're saved That we have this great word, this word of God, breathed out by the Holy Spirit. So please, I pray now that you would continually work all of that in us. That you would mature us in the faith and in love. So that we would live and walk in a way that's pleasing to you. Make all of this, God, real in our lives, effective in our lives, that we may indeed know the hope to which we've been called. We may know the riches of our glorious inheritance, and we might know the power that is towards all of us who believe that we may be strengthened within, be strengthened within in such a way that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith that we may know the greatness of his love for us and that we might be filled to all the fullness of God. May we live always conscious of you, praying. They pray this today for those who find themselves with great joy that they would turn and give you thanks knowing your great blessing upon their lives through Christ. And Father, for all them who find themselves in difficulty, perhaps even discouragement and hopeless feelings, it may be hurt by others, maybe in a situation where their confidence in you has been shaken, I pray that you would arouse in them your truth, that you would arouse in them the righteousness of Christ, that you would cause them to, Deeply reflect and to know the gospel, to trust it, to believe, to stand in it, to be confident of eternal life, to know that your word is true, cause each to be effective in their lives and in our lives. And as a church, Father, that we may live in such a way that people would see Christ at work within us. And even through us. And this I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.